Have you guys ever used or considered using Kickstarter to fund your games? Just wondering because I know you guys would have the sickest slash wildest mm. slash dream come true backer rewards. <laughs> Please. I have $3,000 to spend and I want an adult size. <laughs> I want an adult size Snuppy suit. Scotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 107 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm the programmer of programs. I'm Sam and I put vectors on things. And today is July 18th, 2017. Before we get started, we have a warning. Anything that happened on this show, we're going to say bad, we're going to say some bad words. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to be real about it. All right, we good? Mm-hmm. We're, we're also going to think bad words. We're going to think them. We're going to right now. We're going to mm-hmm. be making really rude gestures as well, so you might hear some like middle fingers flying yeah, around. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> uh, it's just it's chaos over here. All right, so we got some news this week. For starters, this is the 28th prime number episode. So congratulations everybody mm-hmm. on that. Also, we are in the midst of spearmint summer. So let's talk about it. How's it going? What is it? Hit me with some details, brothers. Yeah, so just to recap, Spearmint Summer was uh, sort of our, our way to shake it up this uh, this month of July and a little bit into August. We decided to become Spearmint Farmers. Yeah, so... Uh, it's, it's been going Making good. gum, yeah. you know? But we well, basically what we decided to do is we, we re-engineered a few of the things about our workday and uh, just did a bunch of thinking about how to maybe work better, maybe not. That's why it's an experiment. Experiment. So... Yep. Uh, what we're doing is four day work weeks, which we had our first one last week. And then on the fourth day, which is Thursdays, uh, we have a jam day, which is a 12 hour day, which some people might be groaning internally at that. Some people might be very excited about that. Um, it's awesome. It's very awesome. So, uh, so we had our first one last week and it did seem to go very well, uh, even to the extent where, so Thursday about eight o'clock basically is when the sort of the, the factory whistle blows at butterscotch on a jam day and everyone starts kind of wrapping their stuff up. And by factory whistle, I mean, Sam just screamed at the go, top of his lungs. <laughs> it, is, like, it is very effective. I, it's shrill. It's I've alarming. been from my work. Yeah. So everybody's, you know, writing up their stuff. And then we had a little uh, postmortem afterwards, as we always do. And it was interesting because everyone said, I mean, jam days are always good. We just, we know they're good. Uh, and the, like, the amount of energy everybody had actually at the end of the day, we had discussed going to uh, some local, uh, a local event for game devs in town that started at 8 p.m. On that Thursday, and we had talked about it in the morning, and everyone's like, "Oh, you know, I don't think, I don't think I'm gonna have the energy to go." But the interesting thing was, at eight at night, after working for twelve hours, everyone's so jazzed mm-hmm. that I know Andy was talking about. It. He's like, "I think I'm, I, I might just need to go to that thing." Like, Although, I'm did he pre- though? I don't know if he did. <laughs> but he's like, "I'm <laughs> but not gonna be able to, to sleep." And then, I mean, I felt it too. I went home and. But that was the funny part. Is I think as sleep. soon as it, in like five minutes after the work day, then all of a sudden the the. The ennui crept back in, and everyone's like, nah. "I'm going to bed." <laughs> well, I mean, what happened to me though? Like, I, I had a really hard time sleeping because I was still just like, "You've got the residual very, crackling energy of yeah, the jam in your like veins. You just, you're swathed in energy." Did and you, so, did you touch Diana to to shock that residual energy out of you, and then into her so that you could go to sleep? Yeah. Well, so what I actually did is I just I sort of tried to carry the jam forward, but just into my life. So I, I before bed on Thursday night. Uh, I took a notebook and just wrote down a bunch of the things that I wanted to do the next day and the rough order in which I thought I'd probably do them. And then woke up and just, I did all of them. There's 17 things like planned out nice. in a day. Which So you you surfed the jam wave. I surfed the jam wave into my personal life, you, which was yeah, amazing. Nice. 
So it was great. I, I wanted to, but I had to go to the DMV. <laughs> so, so you just so your your jam wave just kind of ran into a cliff yeah. and just kind of dissipated mm, yeah. immediately. But it was it was kind of an it's an interesting sort of juxtaposition though, right? Of, that is of, of being in a workplace where you're just fucking crushing it and everyone you know. Is but then you what go to doing. a different workplace, which is what yeah. the DMV is. Yep. Where <laughs> where it's it's because and, Je- and Jenny and I were were sort of. M- you know, musing about it while we were there about how it just seemed purposely designed to be the worst experience. <laughs> like not just for the people, but for everybody, for, everybody, for the, the people working there, for the people that make the rules for the people, like you every piece of it, you couldn't have designed it to be a worse experience yeah. in let, like, I don't think you could have. It's I think, just, I think the one thing experience. would be like, you know, at Walmart, you come in and there's a greeter. Yeah. The DMV, if there was a face puncher, like you just walk in, <laughs> you get your face punch, and then you can stay. It would have been line. more interesting. Like, yeah, and we walked in. I guess in, it would have been more interesting, at least. It would have been much more interesting. But we walked in, <laughs> and, and one of the other little ticket things, you know? And so, mm, right. Uh, and there's there's green tickets for one thing and, and pink tickets for the other, but the signs are, are like hard to find, and they're not actually where the tickets are. And one of the machines wasn't even on the wall anymore. And instead, there was just a sign there that said, Go to this. I go to the to the driver the driver desk. I was like, "What the fuck is a driver desk?" You know, <laughs> uh, but apparently it meant the desk that is only for getting your driver's license, which isn't labeled, right? But there's they also put it. Around. It's behind a pillar so that when you walk in, you Can can't you not just see detect it. the authority. Can you not just feel <laughs> it and hone it in on it like a pigeon? So crazy. <laughs> and uh, but then but then to top it off, because of how. I mean, this is, you know, every state has their own bullshit when it comes to these things. Actually, weirdly, when we were living in, in Texas, everything was very easy. So I don't mm-hmm. know. Like, it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't right? have to. But uh, but Missouri, in particular, it's it's extra whack because of also how they do property taxes on vehicles and stuff and how they mm-hmm. do their, their tag system. for. So, so there are all these extra pieces of things, which in the end still adds up to like three or four things you have to bring, right? Also, you got to spend a lot more time at the DMV in Missouri than you do a lot in, more in other states. Mm-hmm. Just That's in terms of in terms of number of things of that you have to do throughout the year yeah. that you got to go hang out right. at the DMV to do. And for some reason, they, you got to be there in person for a handful of them, even though there are things that just don't. There's, there's, even though the internet exists. Yeah. Yeah. They sent me a pin to renew my my stickers uh, for oh, my yeah. license plate. And then it didn't And then it didn't work. It didn't work, yep. And I was like, what do you do? So I had that same problem. Here's the thing. It doesn't work the first time you use it. If you wait a week and use it again, then it works. So you tell me, <laughs> you tell me that they don't put it into the system before they send you a letter? Yeah. Give me a break. I feel like they, <laughs> what they want to do is they want to recreate the feeling of being in the mm, office. It's just you part know? of that mission they have to frustrate you yeah, at so every, every turn. turn. So they send you the pin and then there's a time delay where you have to well, wait in line for a week, basically, on the internet now to get yeah. your to get We know thing. where the real villains in society are. Yes. But where are they? Where did this Who come designed from? designed this? Well, maybe that's the thing. Maybe nobody designed nobody, it. Well, yeah, I think that's exactly. Talk about this whole idea well, no, of being thoughtful. With legis- <laughs> legislators said, here are the rules. And then they said, now let's make sure we we don't want to pay any money to implement these rules. So so we're gonna we're gonna set aside the lowest amount of money possible. And then they appointed a committee. And they appointed a committee. And out. then the, that committee then had to hire some people committee. from the private sector <laughs> because only the private sector can accomplish things, mm-hmm. right? And so then they had to take competing bids. But the only point that they care about is how cheap it is. Right. So now you compete for literally they're competing for, who for who's gonna do product. the worst product. Right? <laughs> And this is how our entire fucking government runs, right? Like, think about the highway system and stuff, too, right? And Or, like, any building thing. The thing saw, they compete on is price. Yeah, how insane a, is that? There's a report that came out that was Australia got ranked first for 
uh, healthcare, and the U.S. got dead last of developed nations. <laughs> like, are we a developed nation? Is that even a fair category? Who knows? <laughs> who knows nowadays? We are, but you know, we're all we're, we're stringing. We don't spend very much. Probably. We don't spend very much time at the doctor. That's for sure. But yeah. So yeah. the first week of experiment summer went very well. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, that was. Give us back a track here. And uh, second week, we're, we've been kicking off, and everyone is super zoned in. So the question, the big question we had, as far as you know, a four day work week and a three day uh, weekend was. Is it the case that when you come out on Monday, you have only a vague recollection of what the hell you're doing? Yeah. Will you be, take a while yeah, will you've kind of fallen behind or will you just be actually more ahead because right. you felt like you had more time to, to stay caught up? And mm-hmm. Well, there, there's an interesting thing that happens. Um, so I, th- I think the first week was definitely going to be probably the most turbulent in terms of getting into it because everybody's still coming off of a two-day weekend mm-hmm. coming into a four-day week. Now that we've had the three-day weekend and now coming into a four-day compressed uh, work week, um, I think there's an, what, what is an interesting thing that we're starting to see is basically because people had now had the three day weekend to like, you've got the Friday then to take care of your life stuff, like the DMV, mm-hmm. which you normally wouldn't have been able to actually do. Nope. So you'd had to try to find a way to like leave work or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that just adds a lot of extra stress trying to figure out how to compress all of your errands and everything into your two day weekend when things are generally not open and all this other yep. shit. Um, so then you're trying to compress that. And then you also want to try to get a little bit of like hobby time or whatever. Learn how to mm-hmm. like make a new type of joint for your mm-hmm. tables right. or whatever it is. Or that for you your do. flesh golem in your yeah. basement. Yeah. How did you make some new, that? make some new reinforced <laughs> elbows for your flesh golem, right? Um, <laughs> it's just a hobby. Yeah. And there, there's stuff you want to do on the weekends as well as taking care of all your errands. And oftentimes it's just, there's a lot of juggling that has mm-hmm. to happen. So can't so, do it all. So it seemed like coming in on Monday, um, uh, everybody was just much more relaxed. Yeah, it was very, everyone's laser brand. Yeah, everybody, yeah. everybody just settled in, just like eight o'clock, boom. It was just, you just heard the furious typing oh, on the keyboard. We did have, we forgot to talk about this. We had Corporate Monday yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> because we are now, we're no longer an LLC. We are incorporated. Yes. Now. We are, we're a corp. So we're, uh, we're not, that's not, doesn't mean we're publicly traded or anything like that. We great. just, it's, name, it's just a name change basically for, but for so to, to sort of goofily <laughs> celebrate this, uh, Monique. I think half joking just suggested on on Friday that we should you know dress you up. You mean on Thursday? Thursday, right? Whatever, <laughs> whatever day it was, the end of last week. Uh, that we should dress up on Monday, you know, like we're in an actual corporate office, it's corporate day. And so I was like, I'm down. Mm-hmm. And you know, Tifa also the artist was like, I'm down. And so I come. I was down in principle, but it turns out that I have embraced our lifestyle so hard that I no longer have any wearable suits, clothes. Of this <laughs> so yeah. Whoops! Yeah. Whoops! But yeah, so I was driving into work. So it's like with your suit, five till I'm, I'm I'm decked out in my the one suit I own, which I wore to my wedding and I wore to Dice. Those are the two events that suit has been <laughs> debuted at, and now corporate day. and now corporate day. And so I come I come uh, come around the corner and I see this very well dressed professional looking woman walking down the street with like a nice handbag, and I was like, well, oh, that's weird because Seth just lives in a neighborhood. And I was like, oh, that's Tifa. <laughs> so I pulled up next to her. I said, well, she normally has a hamburger backpack. Exactly. It's a yeah, cheeseburger backpack. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I pulled up next to her and said, get in the corporate van. And so she hops in. Both of us are laughing, um, coming to work. And then Mo arrives. And Mo's decked out in like a green blazer. Just looking so corporate. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> people wearing pearls, you know, just looking good. And then we have this hilarious riff. 
Seth made the joke that it's, it's as if it was Halloween for us, where everyone sort of started acting like the character they were playing. Right. <laughs> so people talking like, about like their golf game and like working on their short game. Yeah. And, oh, I had to fire my gardener this weekend. <laughs> uh, yeah. My stocks are down, but I'm going to buy a boat anyway. Invest- <laughs> investments. Am I right? Am I right? <laughs> so it was fun. We had a good time. Yeah. Um, also, we have Pixel Pop coming up. So let's talk mm-hmm. about that. Pixel Pop. Mm-hmm. What is it, Adam? Uh, it's it's so it's. It's a thing when you know, like you're looking at a thing on a screen, right? And yeah. All right. So it pixel pop explodes, <laughs> throwing shards of electricity into your eyeballs. Right. So that's, so that's one. That's pop. one definition. But I think you're talking about. Webster. Yeah. yeah. Right. I think you're talking about the thing that's in three weekends from now. Yes. August fifth and sixth. August fifth and sixth. Correct. Yeah. Which is this is the fourth fourth one fourth year, fourth annual fourth, fourth annual fourth third or fourth I don't know. fourth. Uh, it's the fourth annual pixel pop, um, which is. Uh, was founded originally uh, by uh, you know our buddy Carol, who mm-hmm. worked in the studio with us a while ago, and uh, and some a partner of hers that I don't think I've ever met before. Mm-hmm. He's very shadowy. He's very shadowy. Uh, um, but yeah, so they they found this a few years ago, and the goal was basically to kind of create this local event where people who were just into games and people who make games and uh, could basically kind of meet each Converge. other and and, 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 you know, and kind of see both sides of that. Um, and so, so it's, it's been going for a few years. It's, it, uh, kind of grew a bit and they're trying out experiments every year to try to make the thing bigger. Um, and yeah, so, so this year it's August five and six, I'm not sure where it is, but it's in St. Louis. Don't know. St. Louis, I think it's uh, St. Louis university. Could be. Head, maybe. Just, you yeah, just look just up Google, Pixel Pop. Just Pixel Google Pop Pixel Pop. Uh, but why are we, t- why are we talking about it? Cause yeah, I was so giving we, a talk. I'll be giving a talk there. Sam, yeah. I think he's giving a panel. I'm giving a panel and then I will sit on it. You're on it? Are you running it or on it? I will answer questions directed to me and none other. (laughs) (laughs) You just sit there stone-faced until a question gets directly asked to you. I will answer as few few words as possible. Uh Yeah. Just grunts. And so, yeah, Mm -hmm. Adam will be giving a talk about... uh, About... About uncertainty. Uncertainty. And how to live with it. This is is something called... What's it called? Tentative title? The Fog of Life. The Fog Fog of of Peace. No, Pog of Peace, that's what it fog was. Of, the Pog of... The Pog of Feast. The Pog of Feast. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, this will also be the first Pixel Pop that I am not speaking at. Or just yeah, at, my, period. My, my annual uh, three-day weekend retreat is just happens to coincide this year, so... My bad. Won't be there. Sorry. <laughs> but if you do want to see some of our crew and stuff, I think we're uh, quite a few of our people are going to be mm-hmm. at Pixel Pop. Yeah, we'll so. probably kind of go in mass. You know. Yeah. So come on over. Come check it out. Yeah. There's some after parties and stuff, and you'll you'll see you'll basically kind of get a sense of the local dev scene here, which mm-hmm. is kind of a fun thing to to check out anywhere. Um. So yeah. So it's a, it's a I think it's a worthwhile thing. Um. So if your if your calendar is free, tickets yeah. for twenty bucks. Weekend. It's cheap, easy, fun weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Come do it. All right, other stuff that's going on. We've been working on. Uh, we've been working on Snuppies, mm-hmm. which is should, should we say no? All no, right, we can't yet. So it, we don't. So it's definitely not called Snuppies. We think Correct. we know what the name is going to be, right? But we got to do some research <laughs> to make sure we can have it. Yeah, uh, that's one of the tricky things about naming things. Not only do you need a good name, you need a good name that somebody else doesn't have trademarked in your mm-hmm. domain. Yeah, it's the username problem, and ideally yep. one where. The website is available, so you can just go buy the website with that same name. Right. Yep. So there's a lot of Basically considerations. Unfortunately, you can't yeah. just name a thing anymore. But I think it's also why you see all the all the startup companies just start like hacking vowels out because they're like, oh, yeah. you're not gonna get, you know, like you're not gonna get flicker exactly like, as an actual word. So you so. just take out the you're like, fuck it. Were they the first ones that did that? <laughs> where they were just I think flicker. they were Tumblr and Flickr. Yeah. First ones I remember doing it. 
You can also do stuff like find a domain that has like the ending of your word in it, mm-hmm. and then put like you know. Those have always confused me. I like I think they're good, but I always get a little bit confused. I think the problem is that most that most other humans, like just anybody outside of tech, generally, tech, yeah, doesn't understand that anything except for .dot com exists. A few of them understand .net and .dot org, like right. a t- like a little bit, yeah. But or nobody .gov. or .dot gov. But if you if you tell somebody, hey, just go to my awesome website .dot ninja, right? They'll be like. What? So is that like an email yeah, address? I, don't know. <laughs> I, don't I mean, I even I, I did uh, and actually Tifa did, I saw I did the same thing with her when she was, gave us a resume, you know, for every mm-hmm. we brought her on. Uh, her her email address. I'm not going to tell you what her domain was, obviously, but the the prefix was email dot me at right, mm. which is also what I did email a long dot time ago. Meet dot me. Oh, dot actually, me at at the at. Oh, sign. not the word. <laughs> email <laughs> dot me. Email dot me, which is also right what in. I had. But the interesting thing was when I would hand my business card to people when I would meet them, um, they, they would look at it and they couldn't figure it out. They just absolutely could not. They were like, so what's your email address? I'm like, it's fucking email me. It's my web domain. <laughs> it says it right there. You know, like it's just written out. But for some reason they couldn't. Interesting. Get it. People need to open their minds. Yeah. To so, I don't know. I think, uh, I think someday this is all going to work, but I think uh, for now it's just cute. And I think the people who are like really trying to take advantage of it, like these brand new startups and stuff with their silly apps mm-hmm. and things. Uh, and to me, I'm just, I'm just super amused because they they clearly don't understand the markets they're trying to reach when they're using these like dot ninja domains. Right. And stuff. Like <laughs> nobody's gonna understand what you're doing. Right. Yep, quit being cute. You know. Yep. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So we've been working on. It. We've been we've been cruising forward on the game. Mm-hmm. It's evolving quite rapidly. Yep. We're learning a lot. Um. One of the things that we are learning is so this this game is very AI heavy. Yep. Because, uh, it's a it's a turn based sort of battling strategy game. That does mean that Elon Musk is going to want us to reg- have it regulated. Oh, yeah, that's is true. AI regulated? Yeah. He, he, there's people are talking, he gave a talk a few days ago to a bunch of state governors. Oh, yeah, I was reading about this. Yeah. He's terrified of AI. Yeah, so he wants people to start putting regulations on it. He's like, well, what, what did he say? He said, I've been exposed to the cutting edge of AI and I cannot believe that people are not un- just terrified <laughs> because of... <laughs> Just because of the potential that it's a it's a life threatening thing, not because of like death, but in terms of all of our way of life, right? Um, people, everybody will be out of work. He's like yeah. he's like there's absolutely nothing that a person can do that an AI could not do better. Eventually. What about love? Even that? Damn. Yeah. <laughs> the robots took it off. Nothing. <laughs> yep. The thing is, they just have a love switch. They're just like boom. I'm in love. I feel it. I'm a robot. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, but this is, this is an interesting problem because, so we, we have a strategy game where basically a strategy game is all about, uh, sort of making deliberate choices that matter. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you think about right. there, there's games that have sort of looser strategies. So if you think about a game like Pokemon where, you know, you have your, your, your stable of Pokemon and you have your set of moves, but you're kind of locked in, right. Cause you've, you've taken a lot of time to level it up. Mm-hmm. And so if you have like a water type Pokemon, then your strategy is if you come across like a grass type then you just like use a lot more potions and hope for the best. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, Or you got to then spend an extra 10 hours grinding up a fire Pokemon or something Mm -hmm. to compensate. And so you're a little bit locked in. And so your your strategy, your strategy is very simple. And so you're just like, all right, I'll just tackle them a bunch. Yeah. I think a a better example as far as kind of where the game is going is, is actually looking at the AI required for a game like Hearst. Yeah. Or any sort of deck building game where there's a lot of weird 
combos and a lot of weird cards that could get played at any one time. Yep. Because what ends up happening is that if you play against an opponent that is dumb, that makes, especially if, if the game is sort of tightly constricted like ours is, where you can tell if you make a wrong move that you have... You've lost. You've lost the game. Yeah. You can you can kind of well it's it's not it's not like it. it's not like Pokemon where so you've got your you've got your six, right? Mm-hmm. You got your one powerful one. And if this turn, instead of using tackle, you used like headbutt, you know. Then it's right. like, well, you know, I'm whatever. Gonna, they all pretty much do the same shit, just to different degrees. Mm-hmm. And so you're still inching the opponent's HP down to zero. In a game like Hearthstone or in, in a game like the one that we're making, you don't have those loose uh those sort of loose associations of things and just one decision matters. And so by having the AI, like so we're, we're trying to balance the game and the AI is still not even close to good enough that we are getting good sort of good matches mm-hmm. out of it, which does also mean that if we want to make multiplayer, you know, we don't have this problem, which is great, which is great, but it also means that we don't actually understand the game because we've never played against a, a good opponent. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, so this is kind of where we're at in development is, is really having to sort of double down and take the time to make the AI really good. Um, and then, then we'll scale it back. So if we want, if we want to have easier opponents and stuff, yeah, we can, we can make the, the AI dumber for that. Yeah, It's easier to add stupidity than it is to add brain power. Yeah. Which is kind of a hilarious thing to think about, which is like, if you're playing, if you're playing against, uh, like in, like in a chess game or something, right. And you're setting the computer on easy, the computer knows, it knows what the best move is. It right. just it just purposely doesn't do it. Right? Like, Whoops! <laughs> Whoops! I moved my pawn. It's like when you, of my go on a, when you go on a date with someone and they want you to like win the game to feel good, right? They're right. Like, oh wow! I made such a blunder. It'd be terrible yeah. if you yeah. took advantage. Because the of only that. way the, the only way the AI can have degrees of difficulty is that it knows the actually the right move. Right. It just chooses not to not to do it, um, which is kind of kind of demoralizing you know, if you think about it. <laughs> it's letting you win. Yeah. Plain exactly. Um, yep. yep. And cool. then otherwise we, we've got a, a couple more things. So one is, is we've been working on our, our always know why studio philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the idea that, that uh, the most important thing to do as a person in order to sort of become more, more powerful and to understand more about the world is, is to try to always understand why things are happening. So think about the context of going on around you uh, about how your actions are affecting other people about whether you are doing the right thing or whether you could be doing something better. Um, and this all comes down to context and sort of having a deep understanding of where you fit mm-hmm. and where your actions fit. And so uh, I don't know if there's something we wanted to talk about, but there was an article that we came across. Yeah, I, I think it'd be really good to link it. It was frankly one of the best articles on just thinking work that I've ever yeah. read. So, so in this article there was a discussion about how it's, there's this, this weird sort of um, dichotomy in tech where there are tons and tons of freelance tech workers who you can go to elance.com or whatever. And it's, there's this kind of race to the bottom for price where there's all these people who will say, yep, like whatever kind of, uh, you know, programming software development, whatever you need, we'll do it for like 10 bucks an hour, five bucks an hour, whatever. And, Oftentimes these are in like other countries and stuff like that. But the fact is it's very, very cheap. Um, but then on the flip side, you've also got programmers who work at companies who make like 200K a year mm-hmm. as software engineers and, and architects and stuff. And so uh, effectively- and companies are constantly struggling to find people for those roles. Right. Ta- so it's weird, right? So there's, there's so many people providing these services that 
there's a pr- there's a race for price, but then also there's so few there's so few of them. There's a race for a salary. So so what's happening? And so the, so the point that this article makes is that is that really when a when a company brings on a person full time, what they're bringing that person in to do is not to solve the the cut and dried task list type problems that you would hand to a remote worker where you say, here's what my problem is. Here's what I want. Just do it. Right. And they just do it. Cause really they're just kind of, they're solving already solved problems just in a way that's slightly, you know, unique to your particular situation. Mm-hmm. Right. In a, in a larger company, what you're, what that person's being paid for is not going down a checklist and being handed a, a like a task list. It's they're, they're supposed to be immersed in what's happening in the company and they should be most of their work is even just figuring out what problems to solve and finding new problems and sort of uh, baking in the context of the studio or the company or whatever. And then they apply their problem solving techniques to those things. Um, and so this this kind of comes exactly back to what we were talking about last week about about the importance of always being aware of what's going on around you mm-hmm. and that that's really that's the kind of value that you that you like that you bring right. to I think the, the, the author of the article refers to it as deep context which mm-hmm. is just like truly understanding what what it is you're doing and what it is that the the problem is that you're trying to solve because the truth is and we've even even seen this uh internally with uh with as we've brought new people on oftentimes the first way someone will solve a problem if they if they're actually lacking context, even if they think they aren't, uh, they'll solve the problem, but it's the wrong problem, right? Yeah. They sort of, yep. you get off on something. Or they create new problems. <laughs> yeah, or you create new problems and then solve those as opposed to whatever the actual issue is. Uh, and so there's a lot of uh, potential waste there. And so that's sort of what the those higher those higher salary positions in terms of the software engineers command. Um, and also why it's sort of, the dichotomy is interesting because it's, the, the author basically just makes the case that most of these problems that you want solved are not as simple as just saying, make me this widget, right? Mm-hmm. Um, once but, you understand yeah. the deep context of the storefront of the yeah, well, business in fact, it. the you know the software that you're making to solve the problem is no less complicated than the problem itself, right? right? And, and he also he throws out some some specific point talking about some guy who worked as a as a software designer for like freight logistics or something mm-hmm. for like a decade, right? And he's talking about he's like here's here's just a random tiny tiny sampling of the kind of weird stuff this guy knows that actually goes into making decisions about how to design software. Right. And it's like the fact that certain kinds of things cannot be sent by air have to be sent by ground. Right. And like the, the impact of different and knowing days which kinds of, week, of things those are, knowing which kind of things those are so that when he's designing software, he has all this stuff in his brain. And, and like, and we, we recognize this too, while we're working on stuff, uh, you know, when we're putting pieces of software together. So like when I'm building a website, I'm thinking, about all the things I know about related to, you know, caching things and scalability and how, how the underlying uh, technologies work that I'm using, what our players are actually using it for and why, and why, what the game is using it for and why, right? Uh, and each one of those things itself has a thousand little tiny problems and nuances that I only know some subset of, but somebody just coming right in knows yeah, literally none of those right. things. And right? even if, even if they are a good programmer, doesn't that, that doesn't mean that they can actually solve any of these problems. Yeah. You're they, better off being a medium programmer with a much deeper understanding of, mm-hmm. of the problem than a great programmer without an understanding of the problem. I think it's an interesting thing because it, the, the description the guy uses to describe sort of the development of software uh, in this, what essentially becomes an iterative fashion where you say, okay, here's the problem I'm trying to solve. Uh, you take one step forward toward it and you unearth this huge uh, this huge field of small problems to solve uh, instead of the big one, right? Because that's sort of what a big problem is. It's just this combination of tons and tons of small ones. And then through the solving of all of these, I think he calls them micro problems or micro obstacles. Um, mm-hmm. That's sort of where you, 
start figuring out the context and actually understanding what the problem is itself. And I frankly, it's it's the best description actually of game design that I've ever seen or just design generally speaking, um, which is hysterical because it's written by, it's like an Amazon software engineer. Yeah, well, actually, <laughs> this was this thing that was most interesting to me because I was talking, I was talking with uh, to Jenny about it last night um, because I think, I thought it was interesting because this guy gave this just like beautifully nuanced argument explanation for the, you know, the value of context and all this, right? In the, in the, in the context of software development. Right. And he referred to other people's kinds of roles related to this. Right. Uh, but somehow he missed like this one essential step, which is that software development isn't special. This right? is everything. It's it is just literally solving, everything. It's just solving problems where, your, particular where your tool kind of is programming. Exactly. But for any role, mm-hmm related to literally anything because all all of us do like our day-to-day whatever it is we do it doesn't matter that thing is solving problems that's that's what we do we just have a particular domain in which we are solving problems and we have a particular skill set that we're using to solve them but there's no difference in how to approach it whether you're using software as your tool or making games or using hammers and making a house right there's actually no difference in in how you need to approach those things to to apply those things. There's actually, there's a general problem solving strategy, which has to do with the more context you have and the more nuanced your understanding is of the problems and of the tools, by far the more effective you can be as a person solving problems, mm-hmm. solving that kind of problem. Yeah, we'll, we'll put a link up to that that article because I think it's, frankly, I think it's just a must read. Yeah, people, yeah. and, and I think, I think, as kind of a final note, I mean, this, this kind of comes back to, we always talk about how we believe that we are not good game designers. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also have a hard time believing that anybody's a good game designer because the assumption is that to design a game, you know, people talk about having a game design document where they, they have this several hundred page thing where they write out everything, everything that's going to be there in the game. And then what happens when they start developing the game is most of that document gets invalidated mm-hmm. almost immediately, right? Because they lack the context. So, you know, you, you st- like we're talking about this this AI problem, right? And how, as we're working on this game, we're learning all kinds of things about how we need to approach developing it. And, and as we develop it, we learn more about it and about the kinds of problems right. that come up. And so we're just kind of, we're just kind of working our way through this fog and we're discovering all kinds of new things. And there's just no way to know what kinds of problems you're going to run into or what kinds of new ideas you're going to discover based on the thing you've well, already Well, because made. the problem and the solution are actually not separate entities, right? And I think if you treat them as just separate, then you just, you're just in for a bad time. You're just, you're just going to have trouble. And it's also that that's when you divide up your, the roles in your company where you say, okay, here are the people that invent problems. Here are our managers, right? Who decide what the problem really is. And then here's the people, you know, our, our team of whatever salespeople or developers, whatever, who actually now implement the solution, right? Right. Uh, no, that's just not how. So, you, so you're actually doing works. yourself a huge disservice by trying to split up those knowledge domains, yeah. right? Because then, yeah, because yeah. then you basically have one person who doesn't understand how to solve the problem, right? And one another person who doesn't understand. Well, how I think to, the how key is the problem. that that I think you can get relatively broad and deep knowledge of the problem domain while still specializing in one solution domain. Right. right, having extremely good communication skills and good buddies. Yep. Is the best way to make really good stuff. Well, and, and giving a shit about the context, right? Cause that's important. It doesn't, cause <laughs> right. it doesn't matter <laughs> how much, that. yeah, it doesn't matter how much you love writing software, right? Assuming you do, right? But if you're, if you, if you write software for a living and you just love the shit out of it, it doesn't matter at all unless you also love understanding the problems that you're writing software to solve. Uh, cause otherwise, yeah, you're making beautiful software, but it's, who gives it's a shit? useless. It's useless. <laughs> cause it's not solving a problem yeah. anybody cares about. It's great at being what it is.
it's art. It's art. More so. Exactly. Well, it's that's like, exactly it's right. like if we meet somebody who says, hey, I've been developing my own game engine. Like, yeah. Well, that's nice, but why? Why? why would you do this? <laughs> yeah. it's, it's doing it for the sake of doing it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, think the, I think the other important, um, aside from aside from giving a shit, the mm-hmm. other thing is, is you have to be willing to move even if there are a lot of unknowns. Yeah. Um, because you, you can't be paralyzed by being confronted with this fog. Because mm-hmm. the way you uncover the fog is by just starting to like wade through it, right? And then you'll figure out what to do. So, you, you know, sometimes you'll take missteps and you'll go the wrong direction for two weeks. We refer, we refer to it as flying onto the rails of discovery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Off the rails of progress. And onto <laughs> the rails of Life is a very crazy train. Mm-hmm. So, uh, all right. So we got one more news item before we get to questions, which is there's something about popcorn. Oh, I don't yeah. Know. This, is, this is great. So, all right. So last night... Story time. So last right, night, paint me a picture. Last night, uh, I'm sitting in my living room with two friends who came over, and uh, Diana, you know, bounds in. She's like, "You guys want some popcorn?" Because she just made popcorn for Game of Thrones on Sunday and remembered how good it was. So she puts like all these crazy spices, just like a shit little cayenne pepper. I mean, like if you breathe this thing in, you start coughing. It's I like, saw on Game of Thrones Thrones night. I saw you guys. Trying to eat the popcorn, and coughing, and like choking and coughing. Right. So but I it's ended delicious. up not. I ended up not partake so so but the thing you mind is like so it's it's kind of like it's like a it's basically pepper spray applied to popcorn delicious so Great. so diane's all excited everyone's <laughs> like yeah we'll have some so she disappears in the back room they're into the kitchen and the kitchen and the living room are right next to each other so one door uh, doorway between the two and we're just out there chatting and then a couple minutes go by you hear the popcorn pop in stops um and then we heard we heard diana shake it because you put all the spices in and you shake it and then and then it was just silent and uh and Dinah starts going, just starts like screaming, which of course she does a lot. And so the problem is it's like sort of a boy who cries wolf. Yeah, thing. you can't, you know. So yeah. she's just like, ah, ah. And then suddenly she goes, Sam, I need your help. And I was like, oh, shit. Oh, <laughs> she stopped screaming. So something so is serious. It just got real. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, so we leap up and run into the kitchen and she's standing in the middle of the, of the kitchen. So like very far away from where the popcorn is located and just bent over and is just blinking like repeatedly. And then just has her eyes shut and just like screaming. And I'm like, what is happening? And she's like, I got into my eyes. And so I'm like, like, get to the sick. And so basically just like grab her. And like, it was, it was an interesting point as far as, so she pepper sprayed herself. She basically pepper sprayed herself because so, so I grab her and put her, like put her head in the sink. And then we use the, the sink sprayer thing. And I'm like, open your eyes. I was like waterboarding my wife. I washed, I washed her. I washed her for a bit. And then we're like, what happened? And she's like, I shook it. And it just like shot, <laughs> it shot that pepper mixture into her eyes. And I'm like, how? You had the lid on. And we go, and there's, it's the lid. There's it's a like hole. a pressure one. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a, a single tiny hole. single hole. So she literally and pepper sprayed On the first shake, because it was just steamed. Sh- yeah, it was steamed. <laughs> and then she had just put all of it in there. So it was just, the spices were all sitting on top. First shake, just ejected <laughs> So it just, so just kind of puffed out of the hole. It just directly like a laser beam of spice. Incredible. Yeah. Spice laser. Very exciting night at the, the Costner Zing household. Yeah, she okay now? That she, will never yeah, happen again. Maybe. So, you know, yeah, now it's <laughs> now put the spice in, shake it around sort of horizontally, yeah. let the spices settle. Yeah. You, well, know. you know, cover that hole. Don't, yeah, don't, don't shake it vertically because yeah. then it slams the spice pile <laughs> against the <laughs> lid hole and then you get uh, then you get spice. Yeah, it's funny. There, there are, there's like, but actually this comes back right back to deep context, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's, that's a thing that now she has, she has learned, she has a hard won that piece of knowledge, yep. right? That none of us knew. Oh yeah. So and any of us could have done that. Nobody else knows this except for those few people. 
who have injected spice into their eyeballs. Yeah. Right? So now if she's if she says, "Hey, you want to make? You want, I'll teach you how to make some of this popcorn," and then that person's going to grab the handle and start to shake. She's going to wait. Check if there's a hole. Check for that lid hole. Point <laughs> right. that away from your eyes because yeah. you will spice laser yourself right <laughs> yeah. in the eye. Well, that's the point. Is is, is all of us? It, none of us know all these little nuances of things mm-hmm. that we don't know. You know, it's it's those you know those Dick Cheney unknown unknowns. You know, yes, <laughs> right. uh, there are unknown unknowns. And and, and having that. Trying out all kinds of stuff so that you end up with these broad experiences and then giving a shit about what you're doing and then thinking about what you did after the fact. Like once you combine all those things together, that's how you get that that deep nuanced context of of the stuff that you care that about. Which stops could be you anything from getting pepper sprayed in the face yeah. of your own. Valuable design. Design. Like, that's not gonna happen to me now. Yeah. Hopefully I was still, anybody. I didn't even know I was at risk of that happening. Think about <laughs> like this. Now but now I'm not anymore. Yeah. Right? With, with the thousands of <laughs> listens that this episode will get, how many eyeballs are gonna be prevented? You know, saved from having yeah. spice lasers shot. So into many. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, let's get on to some You're questions. Welcome. <laughs> You're welcome, Earth. <laughs> All right. So these questions come from our listeners. Uh, they come from podcast.bscotch.net. So if you would like to get your question on the podcast, get on over there and slap a question in the wall box. Yeah. All right. The wall box. First question comes from Rad Habit. Have you guys ever used or considered using Kickstarter to fund your games? Just wondering, because I know you guys would have the sickest slash sexiest slash wildest mm. slash dream come true backer rewards. <laughs> Please. I have $3,000 to spend and I want an adult size. <laughs> I want an adult size snuppy suit. I mean, <laughs> but here's, I want to, to me, this, this question, the way it was asked was perfect because you got. Because it follows like the list of like awesome things, but what that is describing is the back of rewards, right? And it's right. nothing to do it with has nothing to do with the thing. That is exactly why we will not be doing Kickstarter. Yeah, because we don't we're we're in the business of making video games. Yeah, we're not in the business of making whatever that is. <laughs> Well, it could be. be well, for not $3,000, right? We eventually will be, obviously. But yeah. uh, at the moment, we're still too small that, you know, if we were to do a Kickstarter, we would have to s- split our attention a lot as a studio. Yeah, well, the interesting thing I think people don't quite uh, still get as far as how much work it, it those Kickstarters take is it's, enormous. it's usually like a, at least a month of prep full time for like one and a half people in most game studios we've talked to. And then during the Kickstarter, it's that's full time. It's basically like shit's just on fire the whole time, and so you you're losing two months no matter what. And so yeah. it, it's hilarious actually if you look. You got to make enough money that Kickstarter to just we, we, just to offset those the Kickstarter. Months. We've yeah. talked to studios who are like, "Yep, we raised fifty thousand on Kickstarter, and we spent seventy thousand to get the Kickstarter and all the backer awards. launched and the backer award yep. sent out and everything." So whoop, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there are, we don't trust ourselves. I think at this current juncture to, to be able to do that super effectively, given how small our team is. If we had a, if we had a larger team where we could take a, a smaller, basically a smaller percentage of the butterscotch pie and dedicate it to something like running a Kickstarter, getting the back reward set up. Uh, that's definitely a thing. Uh, we've talked about it, but I think we don't want to have to bother with all of the administrative overhead that, that comes with doing a Kickstarter and which mostly comes from the back of rewards. It's all, it's all, but there's also an extra layer of, of weirdness, which is a lot of times if for a game, you know, one of our Kickstarter rewards would be the game keys or something like Mm -hmm. that, except that actually makes our launch worse. Right. Because, because having, if we, let's say we had 3000 people back our game. Uh, That means on launch day, those 3000 people are not buying the game. 
which means our... But those were exactly the 3,000 people who were most likely to buy the game on launch. Right. Mm -hmm. Which means, uh, so, you know, websites like Steam or Google Play or whatever, like they use these algorithms to determine what games are doing well. And they look at velocity of sales and stuff like that. And then those games that are making a lot of sales on launch day get kicked up to the top of the charts. Mm -hmm. um, And then they get more exposure through that. And then more people see it. This positive feedback loop, right? right? So for Kickstarter... There's actually a high potential of if you have a really good Kickstarter, you may actually uh, you may actually well, dampen think, your launch power. Yeah, I mean, right? there's, there's there's kind of actually just like a there's sort of a death valley in the Kickstarter success thing, which is you need to make there's there's some this gray zone where even if you are successful in your Kickstarter, like you said, you might actually spend more than is what you got from the Kickstarter in order to run the Kickstarter. There's another level even further up where it might be a very successful Kickstarter, but might not to launch. the point where where it would sort of cover the fact that you're inhibiting your launch to some degree. Mm-hmm. And then I think that beyond that is where you start getting into the actually good zone, which is where you have the essentially blowout. The things. millions of dollar Kickstarters right, yeah. where it's where like, okay, it's doing well enough that like you already made your money. Yeah. yeah. Well, and not only that, but yeah, you already paid for the owner. But that's also right. the level of yeah. success where you know that you have such a compelling product that you're probably that fine, you're right. that the 10,000 people who now won't buy it on launch day will be negligible, right? right? right. So you could take like, I think Hollow Knight is probably an example mm-hmm. that pulled that off. And, uh, and Did they kickstart? They kickstarted, yeah. Um, they had a really successful kickstarter. Um, and then uh, what's that weird cartoony game that still hasn't come out yet? Cuphead? Cuphead, yep. I think that one was also kickstarted. Yeah, I mean, time, time and time again, we see games uh, go through kickstarter and actually have what they would consider to be a successful Kickstarter. They met their goals and everything. Um, they do get hundreds of backers or thousands of backers, and then they launch to crickets, you know? Um, and so it's kind of pass. I'll pass. We're for good. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have, we actually have a philosophy of trying any, anytime we do something like a game launch or whatever, we try to make the biggest splash possible, which is why we do simultaneous launches and stuff like mm-hmm. that. We want to pile all of the hype and all the excitement onto one very specific moment and not spread it out over mm-hmm. a whole bunch of smaller events. Which might be a bad idea, but I don't, I don't know. know. But I mean, but the idea is you got to try to catch that positive, positive feedback, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because if you don't, then you just, that's it. Now you're just, now you're just coasting. Now you're just low level. coasting. Mm-hmm. Our right, next question comes from Retro Banana Man NL. Mm-hmm. Banana Man's really been Kill kill, it. killing it lately with all these questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you planning to go to an event in Europe soon? Mm-hmm. Slash at some point? So I guess soon would be preferred for Retro Banana Man, but you know, if it, at some point, maybe. Uh, we'd definitely like to go. Um, a big part of it is knowing why. So yep. most, of our, know why. most of our contacts are stateside as far as the people who have a, just a drastic influence on whether or not we're successful. Um, and then on top of that, the, the price, of course, of flying across the ocean is not cheap. And mm-hmm. so... Plus lodging, plus travel. Yeah, plus yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it is the case that it would... Could easily end up being if we went on a on a trip somewhere overseas, that the cost of doing that would actually be more than how much money we made off of crash lands in that same country. It could be totally possible. Be. Yeah, that's totally so, possible. So yeah, so it, it it just has to be for a good reason, basically, yeah. um, or have some of the budgeting covered for us yeah, to make right. it a good a good thing to do. So so yeah, we we definitely like to go. It's just a question of whether or not it's in the cards, and I think. Uh, you know, we don't, there, we've, we have gotten opportunities to say, go speak in different countries and that sort of thing. And uh, most of them we've had to turn down because we can't figure out, I mean, just, how to justify the just cost. realistically how to justify the cost. Um, especially if they're very far away because it's, it's, it's like a week of knocking out a person, if not two. Um, and then we even did that for us. South by Southwest. 
Yep. We right, got yeah. invited to go to South by Southwest and we were, and they were like, yep, we'll give you a booth and we want yep. you to do this award ceremony thing. And, and you have to man a booth. And we just said, no, nope, we got, we got, we're busy, we got to make games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, you know, if we're a year out from launch, we just don't see what that would potentially do. Right. We've, we've been to conventions. We were in the PAX 10 and stuff like that. And, and everything we've done where we've traveled somewhere, um, unless we were directly going there to meet a contact, you know, who can help us in some way or who we can make like a, a distribution deal with or something like that. Without that, uh, there's just no noticeable effect on literally yeah. anything. Mm-hmm. They're so. just fun, which then is a very expensive way to go. Then it's just, they'll just go on vacation yeah. you know, right. at that point. Yep. Um, all right. So next question comes from map five, five, nine, seven. What do you guys think about open source and free software? It's good. Uh, I mean, I think the same thing about it. I think about commercial software mostly, which is, I'm I'm mostly disinterested in the financial model it's using unless it impacts me in a unfortunate way. So mm, in other words, I'm happy to pay for things if it seems like there's a good reason to, and if it seems like it's being done fairly, right? Whether it's open source or closed source, and so you can be you can be paid and open source and mm-hmm. free and closed source, right? Uh, so for me, it's always just like, what is the value of the thing? Does it seem like they're asking for something reasonable? Um, I still can't believe that Inkscape is free. Yep, yep, that's insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is a, it's a fantastic program. I think the one thing I do, I mean, I, the only opinion I guess I do have is that the, the existence of the free and open, actually I don't care, like open source, I just honestly don't think matters for the most part uh, in terms of like its impact on the broader community of people, um, except that it helps free things come into being. Mm-hmm. Right. But the free part, like free open or closed source stuff, uh, the fact that it exists is fucking amazing because that's the kind of stuff that allows companies like ours to come into existence. Right. Because the cost of bringing bringing a company into being or the cost of developing some product or technology or whatever, uh, everywhere you can cut some other costs yeah. um, makes, it, makes it far more likely that you get to succeed. So the fact that we can use a Linux you know, a free Linux distribution to run a server somewhere Mm -hmm. means now we only pay for that computer and our bandwidth. We don't have to pay for the operating system that it sits on. Right. So now all of a sudden that becomes cheaper, meaning we can do it for longer before we go bankrupt. Right. Yep. Uh, And the fact that we can use Inkscape, um, which is completely free instead of having to pay $70 a month for a license for Adobe products. Even Google drive and all that. We used all that yeah, for that's all of a, our yep. documents and everything else. Yep. And, and, that, and, and I, I mean, haven't, I haven't used Microsoft Office in uh, like eight years. Me yeah. someone, <laughs> sent, someone sent me a Word document. I was like, "What? What is this it's weird this? ass yeah. format?" But just open it in Google. So yeah, yeah. And, of, and of course, of course, what they're doing is they're like they're emailing you Word documents back and forth. Yep. Right. Like, and you say if you have thirty different attachments of the same file, like, can we not do this? <laughs> can we just not? can we not? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think, uh, I, I think it's it's there's an unfortunate thing though, which is that there's a huge swath of people, especially people trying to start successful businesses or whatever uh, who don't realize that free software can be really good. Right. And so they end up actually, you know, sort of shortchanging their, their runway, um, you know, risking their future because they don't realize that they, that there's another way. You know, this is something I was, I was amazed when I was in law school that there are these two, there are these two uh, online databases that lawyers tend to use to do their legal research. Uh, one is called uh, Westlaw and the other is called LexisNexis. And these are, they're literally just databases that you search for like Supreme Court cases, for uh, statutes, so you can find actual, you know, documentation about what the law says and stuff like that. And 
they aren't doing anything that Google doesn't do. And all the information that they're pulling up is publicly available information because it comes from the U.S. court system, mm. right? And so um, lawyers subscribe to these services and the way they work is, so for example, if I want to search for a law about like, you know, building zoning or whatever, I go on there, I do a search, and then within the next week, I get a bill and every result that gets pulled up, I get charged for. Mm. Like, now, and I'm talking about cents, I'm talking about dollars. And so, and so uh, I, I kept hearing these stories about about law students who had gone to intern somewhere. And one of the first things they did was they were put on a research job for a client and they would accidentally incur 20 or $30,000 of costs from one of these just because they did a couple of searches, right? And then of course what happens is, eh, we just pass that on to the customer, right? And this is why, this is largely why it's so damn expensive uh, for all these legal battles is because, you know, not only are you paying for the lawyer's time, but also they're using these unbelievably expensive tools that actually don't do anything better than you. So on Google Scholar, there's a, a checkbox. You can say, hey, I want to look for legal documents and you get the exact same things for free. Mm-hmm. Um, but since it's free, then people have the perception that it's not a professional tool and yeah. that it's not going to get you reliable results. Yeah. In the same way that somebody would prefer yeah. Illustrator to Inkscape mm-hmm. because like. Because it costs a thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yep. and, yeah, and sometimes that's true, right? But the business, I mean, we talk about this a lot when it comes to like free games and stuff too, right? Is, is when things are free, it does have the unfortunate consequence of making people feel like it has no value, mm-hmm. uh, which, which then works sort of against it. Except for that there, there's a, you know, a segment of the community who has learned that lesson at some point that actually, especially in the world of free software, that there is really good stuff out there. Some of it's better than the stuff you can get that isn't free. Um, and, but usually it's, it's more, more because more dice have been rolled. So there are more versions of free things than right. paid things, you know? Uh, so, and once you've learned that lesson, then you can actually go out of your way to try to find that. I mean, because the fact is like most of the stuff that we use, except for like game maker, right? But, I mean, there, there are some things where there just aren't good free alternatives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for those, we do pay for licenses for that stuff. There are very um, few of them. But there are very few. Most of the stuff that we use is, is completely free. Yeah. So he's like, like, we use gift cam to capture gifts, which is a free thing. Mm-hmm. And then. I actually just found because I've been putting together an Inkscape tutorial and I needed a, something that would show my key presses visually on screen so that people right. would know when something just happened that yeah, I didn't just click, but there's like a ton of things happening, like a piano being played. Um, so I just did some Googling and found a free one. And the guy said, and so the guy who made it was like, yeah, there's, I know there's a couple of these that exist, but none of them are free and most of them are not that good. So yeah. I just made this one. So here you go. Well, I think, and I think so that, that <laughs> point, yeah, I think that, that point to me is perfect, which is that there are many, many things that people are charging money for. Um, that I just, and, but this is true in the physical world as well as the yeah, visual world. That it's confusing. That I, they have no right to because they've made <laughs> shit. Right? And, and this is what, like, I hate going to, I hate going to grocery stores. I hate going to any store because, or just, seeing ads, right? Because almost everything ever made by other people that they're trying to make you buy from them is absolute garbage and they know it. (laughs) (laughs) What's the rule? 90% of everything is crap. Yeah. It's just stupid and frustrating, right? Uh, And this is true. This is true in the free world. This is true in the the non-free world, right? It's true everywhere. Uh, But I think there's something particularly annoying about somebody trying to sell you a thing that sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so that that's where for me, like when I see a shitty free thing, I'm like, whatever, it's free. Who cares? Right. Uh, and so, so I think my sort of general attitude towards like the free software space is just more positive. Or, or when I look at like the licensing terms of Adobe products 
it makes me want to just like find an Adobe person and just like <laughs> shake, shake them. them, you know, I'm like what? Because it, it's, it's, it seems so anti-consumer and anti-customer, right? Because it doesn't need to cost what they're charging. It just doesn't. Uh, You're going to be able to edit photos? Well, I hope you're ready to take out a second mortgage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't, it just doesn't need to be that way. And, and they, and they're, they're operating as the way that normal businesses do, right? Which is make as much money as possible. Uh, and, and I think to me, that's where, as soon as you end up in that territory, that's where I get unhappy about that. Now, one thing I love about Game Maker, about yo-yo games, mm -hmm. is they haven't yet done the thing where, because you're a business, your license for the same software is 10 times as right. expensive. Yeah. For enterprise some, for some reason, the right. enterprise license, yep. right. This and is, and sometimes you're... though you get, you also get more stuff for that. Right. And that, that, then I can understand. So you look at like uh like say like Dropbox, right? Dropbox is an enterprise level or LastPass as an enterprise level, which of course for LastPass, it costs $24 a year. Uh, yeah. but, oh, but, uh, <laughs> but, with, but what those usually do is they include now like these various permissions, right. level additions, they add, you know, management of, of an employee base. They add other kinds of stuff that a normal user wouldn't need. That makes sense for that a makes sense then to have to spend more money on. But yeah, but it actually is the case that like, if you look at, uh, or take like unity, unity does this. Yep. Right? or, or like wingware, which we, is a Python IDE that we yep. use. Um, there's like a free version and then a pro version and then like a business version, Enter, yeah, right? business version. And, and the, and then so fucking often that, that enterprise version is not different than it's actually any same. of the other ones. Everything is just the same. They're uh, just like your business. So you got money right here. Let's yeah. Just, you just pay more now. Yeah. Um, which is <laughs> just like, like it's, it's when I see that stuff, because it doesn't make sense, it's, it's not being done for a reason, except for one where they're trying to get as much money as possible. Right. Well, then, then they're and not, that always makes me unhappy. Yeah. Um, because they're not, they're not selling you anything different. No. They're just charging But it might be that the, the only way you could actually sell that to a business, generally under the general corporate mindset, is actually to ratchet up the price. Because they're like, oh, look at this high quality product. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it's, it's actually- This thing costs $4 million a month. It must be really good. Yeah. <laughs> it's for like a price signaling thing, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah I, don't I, even think, know I think there is some of that per se. There. It's just like- Well, but, but their licensing makes it so that you have to. Because if it was right, just- right, right. If, like the, if you could just pay more, like that was just an option. Like here's the enterprise version- it costs more. And that was like, that was the end of the story. Then I'd be like, fine. It's like yeah. a, that's the description. By that. <laughs> right. It just costs. It just costs. <laughs> this is the same. But the licensing terms, like if you look at the licensing terms for most of these things that have a split level, right. It actually says if you are a business, you can't, you just can't. Right. So take like back when we, when we finally got some Adobe products, because uh, when Carol was redesigning our website, she was familiar with doing it in Photoshop. Right, right, right. Uh, and so we were like, well, it'll be much more cost effective just to like use the tools that you know. So we'll just, you know, go pay for a license. So, so I did, but I was like, we only need one person in the studio to do it. And like for a short period of time. And so I was like, well, I'll just go buy like a single person license to do that. Right. And so that's what I did. Uh, but when I was filling out the credit card info, it included the, the business name. Right. And I got a call from an Adobe person to the phone number I provided saying, Hey, hey you're, you're a business. So you, you actually can't use this license. You have oh. to have the one that is for an entire year term that you cannot get out of unless you pay a $300 fee. So you can't get out of it early. Uh, and yep. that costs twice as much for no, it doesn't provide anything extra. It just costs twice as much. Yep. Unity, Unity does the same thing. Yep. If you're a business, you have to lock into a one year subscription mm. at a hundred, like a hundred something a month. Yep. Good times. Good times. <laughs> it's just, it's just so, frustrating. And of course, I want to thank Yo-Yo Games you yeah, know, for, for, yeah, for no not kidding. putting us well, through and, that. And frankly, anybody, any any anybody who's making a product and and like and thinking about why you're doing it the way you are, and it's not, and the reason is a good one. Yeah, you know, like yep. Please, just, please do more of that. Just keep, that just keep be, doing that thing. Guys, right, so we got time for one more question. Uh, this question comes from Degeki. Uh, he says, "Jumping gigawatts 
So is many that an exclamation or a it's it's an exclamation. Okay. Uh I believe it's from Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. Oh. So many questions and comments here now. How does this make you feel? Have you had a celebrity at large moment where someone recognizes you on the street? Mm. So this is hilarious because you would you would think with so now at this point we have like five million something players, whatever. Well, thirteen million. Thirteen million pirates. Plus pirate, you know. Yeah. Um yeah. People have no idea who we are. <laughs> yeah. I think part of it is like kind of the author effect where, you know, we aren't, we aren't entertainers. Uh, right. We, we make a product that people buy and interact with. And so they recognize the product, the splash screen on the product only occurs for a few seconds. The first time they boot it up and most people only boot up the game once and then they just leave it on forever on their phone or whatever. Mm-hmm. So people don't really know generally, even if they have played our stuff, they don't know our studio name unless they're really paying attention. Um, and they definitely don't know who we are mm-hmm. unless they go deeper. You know, if they're yeah, listening think, to the podcast or mm-hmm. check out our YouTube there's only, channel. There's only one time that happened to me so far. I, was, I think it was like a month or two after Crashlands. And I was going into the yeah, grocery store. right after store. game launches sometimes. Yeah, I was going into the grocery store and I had my butterscotch shirt on. And there's this like... 14 year old kid walking by and he just looked at me and his eyes got really big and he's like butterscotch and I was like yeah and he goes <gasps> <laughs> and then he just ran away and I was like cool uh, so that was the one and then uh, so we go to the Panera just right next to Seth's house uh, pretty frequently uh, they just kind of get out of the office or have a meeting or something and so he was just two weeks ago we were in there and of course all three of us wear our butterscotch shirts often and then so we're always rolling with the squad whenever we go in there. So they kind of know that we're a bunch of weirdos. The thing is, most of them don't know what we do. They're just like, oh, these the weirdos are back. We're just very boisterous. <laughs> yeah. We just go there. We're like, hello. <laughs> so, so they're always giggling at us and stuff. But then uh, the guy who brought our food over that we ordered was like, oh, you guys are butterscotch, right? And we're like, yeah. And was his wife played the game or something like yeah. that? He's like, yeah. oh, my wife plays your game. She loves it. It's so cool. So that happened, yeah. <laughs> but it's a it's a probably the most low key form of fame that you could. Yeah, watch. I mean it, it's it's especially hilarious. Like we go to like we got we were at the Pax Ten, right? And this is like this is gamers. There's yeah. eighty thousand people there, and almost nobody, <laughs> almost nobody who came by our booth, they knew who we were. They well, come by and, and they'd be also, like, "What's this Crashlands? I don't, what is this?" <laughs> yeah, well, this is six months after Crashlands came out, right? So yeah, yeah. the game had been out for quite a while. Yeah, so it's got it's had time to bake. Yeah, people know? were like, "Is this out yet?" And I'm just sitting there like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or, or we get, a, uh, we get a GDC. The thing, you know, we do a lot of, we try to do a lot of work to, um, to, to communicate with other developers. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're always reaching out to developers. This podcast even is, you know, it's kind of aimed toward people who are interested, who are our game developers are interested in the, the dev side of things. Um, and so we know we do have some like game dev podcast listeners and, even though we go to GDC, there's like 30,000 developers there. Sam gave mm-hmm. two talks there. Mm-hmm. Um, we have all kinds of talks online, whatever. Uh, people, I, I would say 99%, yeah. like one out of 100 people we meet, it, even at GDC, knows even vaguely. My favorite thing was we, we sat down the day before GDC, we sent an email to like, and it was like a couple hundred people. Yeah. Who, there, was a, there was a huge list of people who had specifically put their names into this list to be contacted mm-hmm. by other developers to meet up. And so we just went through lists and it wasn't even form emails. It was like we hand wrote emails to a big group of people who with who had things that they wanted to talk about that they had put up in this in this list and we heard back from nobody. <laughs> Literally nobody <laughs> replied. Nobody. We said yeah, we're like 150 it was hilarious. Actually, yeah. we, that was like that was our first our first day. Yeah. was 
was we all sat down to a coffee shop and yeah there were there were like 300 people in this list we sat on a coffee shop and and we split up the list between all seven of us Mm -hmm. and we did research on everybody on the list to see like what are they making so we could send them a personalized email uh like what are they into what do they want to talk about do we think that this would be like a good productive you know meeting or relationship for both of us Mm -hmm. we did this for like six hours Mm -hmm. all seven of us together (laughs) so we we put like we put like 40 man hours into, into combing through this list and literally nobody replied yeah so so yeah nobody cares i think it's probably nobody good. gives a nobody shit cares. <laughs> <laughs> which yeah, you know i think that's fine it's kind of refreshing it is refreshing because i think that the nice thing about it is that it helps us keep our egos but then also like you're it's a it's it's the quietest form of fame such that every so often like once a year it's like a, it's like a christmas present when someone comes up and they're like oh you're with butterscotch and you're like yeah and they say, oh, did you make Crashlands? You're like, yeah. They're like, what did you do? You're like, I made, made the art for it. And they're like, whoa, <laughs> that's great. And then they leave and that's it. That's like your one interaction you get for the year. But it feels like But, but what you don't know is the people who don't approach you. You know, because I remember. We saw we, Ashley we, Birch. Yeah, we were at, at one of our first GDCs. True. Ashley Birch was there. And she's a YouTuber. She's hilarious. She also plays Tiny Tina in Borderlands. Borderlands. Mm-hmm. Um just seems like an all around, just very cool person, right. right? To know, and and for some, and she was at GDC. I'm not quite sure what she was doing there, but yeah. um, probably Borderlands related stuff. Yeah. And so we saw her just like at the food court at the mall across. Yeah. And I mean, we had a brief conversation. We're like, Should we go talk we, to we're her? standing like 40 yards away, and, I'm like, and then she looked, looked over. <laughs> she looked over. As if she heard. I made eye contact with her. I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> and then did like what that kid did, just yeah, like run away. And of course, like she's just a regular person, just being at an event or whatever. But yeah. uh, but I, th- I think part of it too is is what do you say? Yeah, you like, know. To me, that's always the big one. Is is right? Well, yeah. Because like I mean, really, uh, from your from your perspective as a f- as a fan or you know whatever, like who what what are you gonna say to somebody who you are looking up to or who's made a thing that you really like that they haven't just, heard before or like you're not even just, start a new relationship with that? Person, oh yeah, yeah. But know? even just saying that, like, it's just you know. It's just like it is with any any person or relationship you have. Or if someone comes up and and very sincerely is like, "Hey, you know, thanks for doing that thing you did." That's super it's, nice. It is mm-hmm. cool. It is cool. But like the uh, question in my brain is always, "Then why? what? Then what? Then you go, well, bye." Then you, <laughs> then you flee while hyperventilating. Yeah, yeah. it's it's not the opener <laughs> that's the awkward part. It's then yeah. figuring out how to because because you know of course they like they've heard this and so their response is always going to be you know. Thanks. I, you know, I appreciate it. But I think there's also a thing with like the depth of fandom, right? Because if you're, if you're a super fan, it gets scarier and scarier. But if you're, if like, if you're, if you're, if you're an admirer, if you're an admirer, like, so somebody who's like, like I played the Shadow of Borderlands 2 forever ago with my wife and we fucking loved all the tiny teeny stuff. That was hilarious. Right. So like for me, if I were, if I, cause I don't think I was there at that GDC, but if I were to see Ashley Birch, I'd be like, Oh yeah, she was the the person who did the thing, right? And I would like kind of want to be like, "Hey, I love what you did with that," right? But on the other hand, I also literally know nothing about, else about her, right? And right. in fact, the only reason I even can remember her name right now is because you mentioned it. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's my that's my level of fandom, right? Because she's right. Tiny Uh And so for me, it's like with those interactions, and I'm because either either I know somebody really well, and like I'm, I'm, I'm a serious fan, in which case then like it's too intimidating, or I only kind of know them, and then it's the same problem I always have. When I can't remember somebody's name, mm. but I know who they, I know they know me or something. And then I'm like, shit, what do I, I should just avoid the situation, right? right? That's the best move here. My favorite Ashley Birch sketch, would I have to just close it? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> There's a lot of, so, so she does a, a YouTube series called, Hey Ash, what you playing? 
which is mm-hmm. like so like it basically like a little mini uh hilarious little short film and it's like her brother asks her that question at the yeah beginning so she'll, she'll be playing some game her brother comes like hey Ash, what you playing and then she'll be like saints row or whatever and then the episode will sometimes like completely veer off the rails <laughs> And it'll be somehow themed around what's happening. Most of the there. time it veers off. Right? And I, yeah. I think she was playing like Civilization or something. Um, and then they ended up playing like the board game Risk mm. or something like that. And she was, she like was playing the role of America. And she won the game by having like a, a 12 foot long dildo that she used <laughs> to just sweep all the pieces <laughs> It was very aggressive move. Yeah, um, you got to hey, you know, American foreign policy. We give. <laughs> Anyways, all right. So I think that's all the time we have. Uh, thank you all for listening. We'd like to thank uh, our studio wrangler Monique for putting this episode together, as well as our producer Fat Bard for making us sound good, and the Beast Gotcha Dev team, Andy Tifa and Sure, for continuing to build stuff uh, while we're in here chatting. Uh, we'd also like to thank our community moderators who keep our Discord and forums running. And, of course, we'd like to thank you all, our listeners. Uh, we're coming back here every week to hear us pontificate about stuff and cheer us on. Also, if you'd like to get more involved in the Butterscotch community, hop into our Discord server, which you can find at bit.ly slash bsdiscord. Come say hello. We're in there. Uh, and also, we have a mailbox. You can find it at mailbox.bscotch.net. It's a literal physical mailbox. You want to send us a five pound gummy bear, which has now happened. <laughs> Actually, uh, no, we're, we still have one of those, so don't do don't that. do that because like, that's, that's, that pile's going to get real big and heavy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we just you know whatever, it's open. Um, also, we don't advertise this show, so we depend on word of mouth and and good reviews. So if you want to help us grow the show, please tell your friends. Uh, hit up Apple Podcasts and wherever else you get your podcast. Give us some stars, leave a little review, say some words. Every little bit helps. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.